Chris Hahn here on the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. We don't just talk about progressive politics. We tell you how to win because that's what being an aggressive progressive is. Check us out every Tuesday. New episodes on Pandora, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss a week. The Aggressive Progressive Podcast with Chris Hahn. Listening to Bigfoot and Beyond, featuring the Lennon and McCartney of Bigfoot, though they're arguably Harrison and Star, Cliff and Bobo. Well, the encouraging thing about the museum is that at least two cars a day are driving by to see if we're open yet. I, of course, have to smile and say no, hopefully, you know, a couple weeks or by the end of the month or something like that. But um, just yesterday, a woman dropped by who has a house over there by Dodge Park. Um, now, you're not from here, and certainly the people who are listening, most of you aren't from here either. But Dodge Park is um, at where a river called Bull Run flows into the Sandy River. And Bull Run is very important for the local Bigfoot um, population because it's a huge watershed that is totally off limits to all human traffic. Um, Peter Byrne, back in the 90s, he did some sort of camera trap project in there. Henry Franzoni told me about that. Oh, we should have Henry on for a guest. He'd oh, be awesome, for sure. Right? Yeah, we should have him on. But yeah, Henry was telling me about uh, back in the days with Peter Byrne, they did this camera trap project with what was then cutting-edge technology where, you know, uh, nowadays it's no big deal. It's Wi-Fi, basically. But uh, the motion sensor trail cameras, and when something triggered it, it would beam, like, uh, up to a radar dish on top of some mountain somewhere, then beam that down to Portland and, and instantaneously give you uh, information about what it took pictures of. Um, and that was inside Bull Run Watershed, which is thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of basically protected land. Where Unless you work for the water department of Portland, you can't go in there because that's the river and the reservoirs that gives a large portion of the city of Portland its water. You know, so you can't go in there basically for national insecurity reasons, you know, because they don't want people poisoning everybody here. Which is ridiculous because it's impossible to poison that much water. Absolutely. But, you know, there's some ridiculous things. Like some guy was caught taking a leak at some other reservoir, inside a reservoir, um, uh, I think on Mount Tabor a couple years ago. And even though it's a minuscule amount of urine and birds are taking dumps in there all day long and everything else, everybody flipped out about it. And they had to drain the whole thing and waste a bunch of water. Yeah. Well, people are like that sometimes. Urine sterile. Yeah, well, and the dilution. I mean, we swim in pools that are full of urine. I mean, comparatively, it's it's billions of times more particles or parts per billion. Yeah, infinitely more staggering to go in any public pool. Yeah, I know, I know. But you know, people are a little touchy about it. You know, but anyway, so that that's Bull Run over there. So this lady lives at the base of Bull Run, and she was telling me just a few years ago about hearing vocalizations that her neighbors heard as well in the morning at ten in the morning, and Ooh. yeah, weird stuff happens on her, on her property and her neighbor's property, and so that's what I'm inter- That's that's what I'm most excited about. I mean, it's going to be great to have the museum open and you know earn a little bit of money because you know this museum is making me broke, but um, it'll be nice to earn a small income from this, and on top of it, most importantly, get the local Bigfoot scoops. Right, You know, from the people nearby says, oh, yeah, yeah, they come by a couple times a year. We always know because, you know, whatever, they leave a footprint in the sandbox or whatever it is. I don't know. Um, I don't know what, you know, gifts the universe is going to bestow upon me on in, as far as this endeavor goes. But Lots. Uh, hope so. I hope so. Um, I've certainly been paying the price so far for right. it. But, uh, but, I, but when it's up and running, 
you know, somebody over there on Devil's Ridge sees one, they're going to think of the shop and maybe yeah. they'll come in and, you know, share the information with me and I can be the first on the scene and pull the prints and right. start learning about the, the hows of these Bigfoot, like how they're living, how they move about, where they go and why. Because, again, for Bigfoot researchers out there, I'm kind of tired of if they're real. I want to know how they work. You right. know, I want to know what they're doing. Um, I think anybody who's still questioning if they're real or not is just unaware of the evidence. Right. You know, and um, I, I don't, I just don't have time for that anymore. Like Tom Powell says, has been saying for a long time, I'm way past talking about it if they're real. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's time to figure out like how they work. Yeah. You know, what, what are they doing and how many are there? Is, are the ones up in zigzag the same ones that are over here? I mean, I don't know. And uh, I think that doing a concerted effort will probably yield some information on those little things, you know? I mean, they'll just see if you can tell, like, when there's, you know, once there's the discovery moment and there's, because once there is, there's going to be a ton of resources put into documenting these things, you know what I mean? Like, every university is going to have multiple teams out there, of, you know, science and biology students putting out game cameras. And, and I think once they realize game cameras are the most effective way, they'll use more subtle, like, way more clandestine type cameras like spy cameras like that sort of thing you know smaller not such a huge magnetic field mm -hmm. less electrical less battery yeah yeah you know um, i was talking to uh, dr anna nakaris about game cams because she uses uh, game cams for uh slow lorises in sumatra which are the animals she studies and the other like she, they're another nocturnal primate you know so she had a lot of interesting insight into that and she suggested that like okay well you know People, a lot of people think there are no game cam pics of Bigfoot, and they're just incorrect. You know, I, I think I've got like six on my phone right now or something, or four on my phone right now. Um, I didn't get them, but people have passed them to me, you know, and I've seen others, and I, I think that they're probably legit. You know, at least some of these are legit. Um, but she's suggesting that, you know what, maybe beyond the rarity of the species, um, beyond just the, the, the fact that there are very few of these things around, she suggested to me that I think you guys are just doing it wrong obviously more well, clearly we're doing a lot of things right. wrong. you know we're not getting very far and she had some very interesting insights about how to rectify that um amongst them were like uh so you what wh what are your thoughts on these things well we, we you know we try to put them on roads and choke points and stuff like that so well maybe they don't use roads and choke points well i've always said they don't put them on roads well well yeah but you know in some places like the olympics uh, um, like moneymaker for example always said no 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 they don't want to walk around in this. I, I think he might be wrong about that oh I, he's I, definitely wrong about that i don't that. think that uh, they care as much as say humans no. do about walking around and that stuff but um where are you going to put them and then like we put them in human places cuz we think in a human like way so we got to get out of our own skin. We got to get out of our own DNA. But the Olympic projects got 50 good high tech cameras and they hike way off trail, go to the ridge tops, put them yeah. in the right, in the right proper places. But apparently not, you know, cause after all those years and all those cameras, they have that one half face thing that I personally don't even think is a Bigfoot. I could be wrong. I hope it is a Bigfoot, but like, even if it is, you can't tell, but they could be in the right place and they just sense them still. Maybe. Maybe, but then then that doesn't go very far to explain the ones that are there, the the photographs that have appeared over game cams, you know. Yeah, most of those are and most of those are smaller ones, though, I think, aren't they? For the majority of the yeah, that game Oklahoma cam. one's pretty small. It's about five feet tall, yeah. five and a half feet tall. Um, that one in Roseburg, we don't know how big it is because we can never get to the site. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's there's a couple. Who knows? Don't know. But for how many hundreds of thousands of game cams are out there, and most aren't hidden that well. Mm -hmm. But I mean, there's. I've heard there's I've heard there's over a million game cameras. I don't know. You know, uh, um, 
Russ Jones, Dr. Yeah. Russ Jones has done a lot of research on that. It might, might be worth having him on. Yeah, oh, for sure we got to have him on. Yeah. yeah, the game cam thing is a conundrum, you know. But then again, even if there's, uh, you know, a million game cams out there, it, they don't cover that much ground. You know, another thing uh, Dr. Nakaris suggested is uh, going out to random places. She says, even as random as taking a rock and throwing it and going out and finding that same rock, like, you know, you know a tennis ball or something, and just sitting there. Because when humans sit down to observe, they always choose a place that makes sense to a human. Right. And there's no, there's no telling what makes sense to a Bigfoot. Clearly that does not. That's what's so great about finding trackways, Bigfoot trackways, because that's what gives, our, gives us our best insight into the, what they think and how they behave. Mm-hmm. Is when you follow one of their track lines, it's always it's it's that's that's one of my favorite things in bigfooting by far is finding a trackway, and seeing how they move where they stop you know where they look around mm-hmm. how the stride lengthens when they're out in the open and shortens back up when they get back under cover because they're not rushing as much I mean that gives you some insight into how they think but it, uh, that is still limited information and and so few and far between right yeah the, these uh, the trackways are just so rare especially ones that you can follow for any length of uh, any distance. Usually, I mean, most, the, I, I haven't found a ton of tracks on my own out there, you know, maybe a half a dozen or something like that, maybe. And most of the time, there's just a single or maybe two or three at right. the most. And then that's it, just because the ground is not very cooperative as far as, like, taking prints. I mean, when people say, well, how come those guys found so many in Bluff Creek back then? You guys don't find that many now. I'm like, because those were all new roads being plotted in a virgin territory. Yeah. Like, yeah. it had never been logged. I mean, it was all old growth. Right. There's, I think there are a couple factors going on. The Bigfoots there were all virgins. Yep. They had really never seen too many people before, before 58 at least. Um, there's, there are so few roads in the area. And then, of course, building the roads churned up a lot of fresh ground and whatnot. And the roads weren't graveled then. And just like they are in the Blues, actually. That's, a, that's one of the things about the Blue Mountains where uh, Freeman and Summerlin and all those folks and Lowry were doing all their uh, investigations is that the roads still aren't graveled for a lot of them, uh, like a lot of the distances there, even today. Right. So Bluff Creek is all graveled up right now. So you, aren't, you don't find a lot of opportunities for fresh footprints. But in the Blues, you still can. You still, not all the roads are graveled there, and it's kind of cool in that, that sort of way. Yeah, I mean, because they let so many roads go back to natural, like, I think they said, what is it, 80% of the roadway out there, they've let go back to uh, just be overgrown, revert them back to natural? I have no idea what the numbers are, but I, I know that uh, wandering around Bluff Creek nowadays, and I, I didn't go there this past summer, but maybe I'll make it there this year. But, um, you know, so many of the roads are all, you know, bermed up and you can't get on them now, but they're still gravel, you know, and the trees are coming up through the gravel, so right, the trees don't care. Right, yeah. right. Now, you've been traveling a lot. I mean, you're up in Portland right now, obviously, but, um, you, you know, you were in the south just a, a week or two ago, right? Yeah, I went to Wild Man Days in Kentucky, mm-hmm. and then after that, I flew down I flew down to Louisiana in the very northwest corner up by Boggy Creek, and my buddy, they, they had a lot of flooding there this year. Like, it's still flooded. Uh, it was flooded for weeks, and then what it did was the bayous, the Red River came down there and flooded it all out, and the bayous all, you know, just rows and rows and rows. So a lot of that land is now underwater and the squatches got pushed up real close to houses and that sort of thing. There was a family of four Bigfoot's been on these people's property for 11 years. They've been aware of, and they were now staying real near the house. They had a few sightings in the course of a couple of weeks. They were uh, getting aggressive confrontations when they went out of the house at night. Um, they'd walk down to where they went fishing down the bayou and they said that they couldn't go back, back or forth without getting harassed and like 
real aggressive growling and so it was consistent yeah real consistent like every time they went down there hmm. so yeah my buddy down there called me and said hey man these bigfoots are backed up out of the bayous they're up on higher land where the houses are and there's these people are getting harassed continuously by them they're seeing them all the time last year the bigfoots got upset with them over some reason about going down there at nighttime to go night fishing and they came up and they harassed they live in a trailer up there i think um I think it's just a single wide. What the family that lives there at the trailer has observed is a large male about nine foot tall, a female in the seven to seven and a half foot range, and then one teenager that's five ten, six foot area, something like that. And then lately, the last year or two, a toddler hmm. that's been running around crazy. So my buddy found out about this. He only lives literally like seven, eight minute drive away. He grew up in the bio his whole life. He's from a well-known back swamp water bayou family all outdoorsmen uh, made their living out in the woods doing natural resources type things and uh, these guys know the bayou like no one else so he said hey i've been down there i've been going there for the last month he sent me all these audio clips they've got he's been putting out cracker jack boxes and these things have been coming and eating the cracker jacks hmm. they love the cracker jacks he's, and they've been walking up um what do they do with the prizes they drop them. They drop them. All right. Yeah. When the little one comes in, because you can tell by the sound, like, you can hear them come in clearly. Like, you hear the classic grumbling, clicking sounds, humming sounds, grunting. Like a lot of places where Bigfoot's come in around people's uh, properties, mm -hmm. there's tons of junk around, like old boats, cars, washing machines, refrigerators, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Well, there's, uh, a f I think, three boats, old power boats, you know, like 18, 19-foot fiberglass boats there. And he'd set the stuff on the boat. Sometimes. His recorder's on the boat, one mm -hmm. of the old boats. There's like an old Jeep down there, an old van. And I thought they were, the squatches were drumming their fingers on that. And he said, no, it's, they're doing it with their throat. He could tell because he'd listen to like, he had over, at that point, almost 50 hours of audio that he was going over and over. And then I talked to Dave Ellis, the uh, sound analyst, and he said, oh, yeah. He goes, I've, I've discovered that on my own, that... That is a throat sound they're making. That, that, da -da 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 -da. Mm -hmm. I thought, wow, that's, that's really interesting because that's what my buddy thought. So the little one would come in 10 minutes before the rest of the ones would come in. Then the teenager would come in. But the little one was crazy. Like, you know, it would jump up and he was tying the, the Cracker Jacks hanging from trees, putting them in baskets, putting some down on the log where they could just grab it easily. And the little one was coming in trying to eat it before the big ones would get there. Mm. And so they, he had this... You know, three and a half foot, four foot tall, what they described as like a chimpanzee. The family that saw it said it's like a chimpanzee. It's down on all fours a lot, hmm. flying around, um, pretty reckless. And it seems to be not, it seems to be not well supervised, which is kind of rare for a young Bigfoot like that. So I thought, man, when he's telling me all this stuff, I'm like, I got to get down there. So I called uh, Derek Randalls from the Olympic Project. And I said, hey, you know, I know Wally bought those guys like a really nice, like $20,000 therm FLIR. I said, hey, man, I'm going down to, you know, Louisiana. He's like super generous. Like, hey, man, I don't need it for like three weeks. Go ahead and I'll mail it down to you. So Shane Corson mailed it down to me. You know, Shane from Monster X Radio. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, which is one of my favorite. That's one of the uh, my three favorite podcasts is Monster X. Yeah. But anyway. I hope we're in there somewhere. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Okay, they're in my top four. Okay. <laughs> so uh, they sent me that therm, and it was brand new. And they'd used it a little bit, but not much. And I checked it out, and, you know, I, I made sure it was, you know, recording. But uh, I got down there, and the odd thing was is it would 
it, it would say it was recording, but the data bar, you know, like that on the flares, there's that empty rectangular bar at the bottom that fills up green as you fill your card, okay. your SD card, how much memory you're using. It never filled up at all, but it would flash back and forth, record, 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 like it was recording. So that happened the first night out. We're like, I was like, that's really strange. So we went back. Uh, the next day we went back to his place after we recorded all that. Nothing happened the first night. And then we went back and checked it. And uh, we're looking at it like, okay, this record. So we checked like several different clips because I was, you know, making 10, 15-minute clips. I'd hit stop, then hit record again. Because I, I never look through the thermal without recording. I only look through while it's recording because I don't want to see one and not record it. Sure. So we go back to his house and, you know, I filmed like eight or nine hours that night. And we didn't sit there and check all eight or nine hours on the, we just checked these certain, we just checked several clips and there was, okay, it's recording. It's not showing up that it's recording, but it is recording. So that's good. So the next night we go out, we heard some stuff, but we didn't see anything that was, that was encouraging. Then, so uh, the next night we actually went back to where we filmed during Finding Bigfoot. Um, Uncle Ben, remember the guy that had the pigs in the trailer, the steel trailer and the female Bigfoot with breasts, Uh the breasts came up well, that wasn't too far away. That was only like 20-something minutes away. Mm-hmm. So we got permission from Ben to go on to his property, and we went out there. And we were on that same levee we walked on that night. Uh, there's a gate on it now. I don't know if there was back then or not. I think there, I, there was we're, a gate. We were on a boat, so it was hard to say, you know. Well, we, uh, we did walk it, too. Did we? Yeah. Oh, yeah, one team. I was on the boat. That's what it was saying. Oh, well, we all went on the boat one night. Yeah. So um, I went back there. So Danny, his nephew, took me there, even though I think Danny's older than Ben. It's still his uncle. Okay. Kind of a Louisiana thing. I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so Danny took me over there, and we got out of the truck. And right there on the levee, it was literally 30 or 40 seconds into filming. There's a giant, not giant, but a full-size mountain lion slinking along right at the bottom of the levee, right where it meets the, the tree line. It was just in the first set of bushes and trees in, mm-hmm. That's but cool. totally visible. And I got full body shots of it just slinking along. Yeah. Um, about 45 minutes after that, got a bobcat sneaking up and bouncing a, a rabbit. Yeah. And then we're, we were out, we walked down, he goes, and Danny kept saying, I want to take this, the power line cut, the power line cut, where we did, I, I remember that was a great spot. So we set up at the power line cut. It uh, bisects the levee at like a 90 degree angle. He's looking to the north, I'm looking to the south. And he had my 640 um, Scout 3, mm-hmm. which doesn't record, but he was looking looking that north on it. And all of a sudden, he starts freaking out, going, oh, my God, oh, my And he's not a guy to freak out. He's a pretty calm, cool, collected customer, you know? Yeah. And he just, he's, I just hear, it's huge, it's huge. Oh, my God, get it, get it, get it. And I turn around, and I, just at that time, I was right at the pile where we had, like, you know, like our drinks and food and jackets because it was raining on and off and yeah. the FLIR case and other backpack and all that stuff. And so I turned around and I had the FLIR mounted on a five-foot monopod, like, you know, just a single pole leg so I could hold yeah. still. And I, I go to put that down. I hit the backpack and it gets caught up in the backpack strap and whatever. And I'm trying to move it and then it's banging into the FLIR case and my stuff's underneath my feet. But I'm getting down and, I, and I'm trying to find it because I was kind of zoomed in. And his is like a real wide spectrum field of view, and mine's yeah. way more tight. But I, 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 I see it, and I thought I couldn't believe it because I thought I was looking at because it was a little bit at that time behind some brush a little bit, but it was out in the power line, cut the clearing, and there is some brush in there near the sides, uh, but it was real near the power pole itself. 
So, I mean, it had a great, I mean, it was, we had all the scale items. We need to get a pretty precise measurement. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was looking at two or three cows standing on like a, a hill. Yeah. Like, cause it was, there was so much glowing heat sure. of body mass. And, and the width, I guess. Too, yeah. I mean, just... it was just, it was insane. It was just the biggest thing I've, it's the biggest thing I've seen through FLIR mm-hmm. ever. Like living, it's the biggest living thing I've seen. It was bigger than Buffalo or anything. And I'm like way bigger. And I'm looking through, and then I, I finally get my, I get it balanced on top of the FLIR case, and I'm looking through it, and it starts walking kind of up and back towards the tree line. And that's when I see it, it's like, I'm like, the arms were so big. I mean, I'm getting a good look at it at this point. It stops and turns and looks back at us. And dude, the shoulders had to be like, I mean, literally like almost five feet across. Mm. Um, and then it walked into the tree line. And I, this is where I blew it. I should have just kept held steady on it. But I moved to the left because it was walking to our right, and I wanted to get, you know, get more. I thought I could get more footage of it. I repositioned. So as I repositioned, I still kept it on it, but it was real shaky, which isn't that big a deal nowadays. You can stabilize it. Yeah, sure. So we're just like we're static. I mean, so it was out there for about thirty seconds. Danny watched it the whole the whole entire time. Mm -hmm. So it was out for about thirty seconds. I probably got seventeen to twenty seconds of it. Yeah, something like that, and probably. I, I don't know, anywhere from five to ten where I was holding steady exactly on it with no shake. no, no and, and it was near the pole, somewhat near the, I mean, so we had, and which tree it walked into the tree line at, we had all that. So, I mean, we were going to be able, and this, this was going to be no, it could be this, it could be that. This was so off human scale. Um, we measured it the next day. We went out there. We had to take a boat around, actually, to go around the, the um, bayou to get over there. And it, was, it turned out to be right around 315 yards, mm-hmm. which isn't a lot when you got a telescope, telephoto lens on. No, no, it's a good distance for the naked eye or like right. a, a smaller therm. But, but with the, when you're talking about something that's literally had, literally had eight to ten times the body mass. I mean, I mean, this thing probably weighed over a ton. I mean, and both of us guessed because I thought this is crazy. Like, I, I thought they don't really get over ten feet. Mm-hmm. This thing was like at least eleven foot tall. Mm. Like we both agreed on that when we did like a little recreation, and uh, so that we measured that out about th- just around three hundred and fifteen yards. Well, right where we were filming back towards where we came from, there was a bowl, a loose bowl that was grazing on the side of the levee. Oh, yeah, okay. that that was about one hundred and fifty to one hundred and seventy yards away, so okay. half the distance, and it was half the size. Mm-hmm. Of this thing, even when it was turned broadside, looking tail to nose, it was. It didn't look much. the The length of that bowl wasn't much wider than the shoulders on that squatch. Yeah. I mean, it was wider, but not not by much. So, did you record it? So we were just ecstatic, and we stayed another. We we stayed about two more hours, but nothing happened. Uh-huh. So we just, we were so excited. So let's go watch. Let's go watch it. And we we filmed we filmed for a couple more hours, um, hoping to see something. Nothing happened, so we went back to go watch, and that's when we realized it didn't record. It didn't record, but it recorded everything after. When I as soon as we started leading, everything after that recorded. Mm-hmm. What we found out going back through the other files too was well, because when we had the first issue, like when we found out it wasn't recording, right? We went out and bought new SD cards. I bought two different kinds. We had three different kinds, like. Um, Sandisk, Sanyo, and something else that was rated really high. Like it was the highest rated one they had at Best Buy because we had to drive all the way down to Shreveport to go get that stuff. 
So we tried um, three different fan manufactured cards, and they all were doing the same thing on the therm. Mm-hmm. So it, I'm thinking it had to be the therm. We couldn't have had three bad cards. Right. And then... Um, so you got stuff afterwards. Did you get stuff rec- before? Recorded no, before? nothing before. Or, nothing before, just afterwards. Okay. Yeah, and people were trying to say, oh, it's that Bigfoot electronic curse, which I've experienced, but I don't think this was that at all. I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think it because then we went back to the previous nights and started looking more in depth. And we found out it wasn't recording all the way through on those either because we didn't sit there and watch all eight, nine hours to make sure all of it recorded. Sure, sure. And then we also found out that the file sizes didn't match what it said when you put it on the download, when you put the card in the card reader and it popped up on the computer screen. Yeah. Say, like, a 20-minute clip would say, like, I'm just throwing out, this was totally random, 76 kilobytes, and it's a 20-minute clip. And then yeah. Which isn't right, but I'm just saying. For that's numbers. hilarious, actually. Yeah, kilobytes. Because right. that, that's like, you know, Commodore 64 era right. memory use, you know. Yeah, 1982, <laughs> maybe something would have been 76 kilobytes. But uh, you're adorable, Bubba. <laughs> I'm not a tech guy. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> so say that this 20-minute one was 70 kilobytes. Then there'd be another clip that was five minutes that'd say 200 kilobytes. Yeah. So the file sizes didn't match. What it said there was there didn't even match what was there at all. Have you done anything with the card? No, we still got them. Still not erased or anything, No, right? no. Oh, you should, yeah. Well, uh, ha, are, are you going to try to pursue any of those loose ends? To yeah. See maybe the data's on there and you just got to pull it off somehow? Most of my friends are tech-tarded like myself. Yeah, yeah. So I was waiting to get like a... Oh, you've been busy on the museum. I have, but I'm happy to take a look at that stuff. Right. Yeah. So we got to... Um, you don't have it here, do you? Yeah, yeah. We can uh, throw it on, my, on the computer. I got, a, I, got a, I got a professional... Um, I got a professional cameraman that lives near me mm-hmm. who's really good. He keeps. He's like, yeah, that's right. Let's check it out. Let's check it out. But he's been so busy. And then I was gone for a mm-hmm. couple of weeks and I'm gone again now. I know. Yeah, well, life gets in the way, you know. Yeah. I, I feel you cuz uh, I went down to the, do that investigation in Roseburg on that film that was taken in like what July th- or May 3rd or something like that. I still haven't done the math for the comparison shots and that's a, a 9 minute video of a Bigfoot and I haven't even right. had a chance to get to it yet. Oh, but one thing that did happen was so that happened then so I, I was like, you know what? It's not going to do that again. It it cuz I did a couple really good calls and then that's when it came out and looked. Oh. So I'm like, okay, we fooled it once. You're not going to fool it twice. Right. So we went back to where the family of four Bigfoots were. Wait, wait, before you move on, you said you went back there the next day. Prints? Are there footprints? No. Or well, we found, the marker? Yeah, we found scuffs. I took some photos. Mm-hmm. There were some old dried out big giant holes mm-hmm. that looked like they were, you know, like 20 inches or something with no definition at all. Yeah. That were old, really yeah. old. And okay. it pours rain down there, you know. Sure, yeah. So these said it had been raining that day. Yeah, like hard mm. thunderstorms and all that. And uh, we did find, we found where it went in the tree line, but it was odd. Like there were some scuff marks, but not as much as you would think. Mm-hmm. And uh, where you, it had to have done a zigzagging path because like where we found a couple scuff marks pointing in this direction, it goes right into like this web of, of spider webs. Mm. that I don't think could have been made overnight. I mean, I know they can spin webs pretty fast, but this stuff looked... I mean, there was old-looking pine needles and stuff hanging in it, and, mm-hmm. like, old shriveled-up flies, yeah, carcasses. Yeah. So it looked it looked old. So, like, it would have had to, like, pivot, like... So, like, sometimes pivot back, like, 120 degrees, and which there's no reason it looked... Like, it just didn't make sense, like, the scuff marks we found. Yeah. And we found one that looked, you know, like, in that 20-inch range, something like that. You couldn't get an exact measurement because it was in duff. Mm -hmm. But um, that one, even that one, 
didn't make sense the direction it was walking. It was walking like straight into a tree. Oh. Not like, not one foot in front of it, but yeah, you know, yeah, I get it. You know, like it was like, why would it? Why would it? Because you know, to leave a scuff like that, it's got to be walking with a little bit of speed. It's not like, you know, not yeah. like sneaking. So, so then we said, well, let's go back to the. We'd put up a, a six-man tent down by where he uh, fed him at down there. Yeah. And we left it up for a few days, and we went back and cut holes in all the mesh screens where the windows are so we could uh, film out of it. And we went down there, and uh, him and his wife and I went in, and we filmed at the tent. We were therming out of the tent for several hours, and about 3.30 in the morning, I said, okay, we'll leave. I said, yeah, well, I kept telling him, as soon as we go to bed or you guys leave, because um, everyone was afraid to stay down there. The people said no one's ever been able to spend the night down there. They're too aggressive. Mm-hmm. Like, no one's ever lasted. And he didn't want to freak his wife out. And so they decided to leave. And I swear they weren't gone two, three minutes when I started hearing approaches coming from multiple sides of the tent. Yeah. Um, Maybe was, that's how uh, in the future Bigfoot footage will be obtained is through reality shows. Right. You know, who can last the longest in Bigfoot <laughs> habitat. Yeah, so... I was laying there and I had the therm, had the therm on. We had the audio running, and I was laying there and I could hear him coming in, and I started hearing like that, like the humming, clicking sounds. Mm, that, that's that's what they described, right? Yeah, I've heard. Well, I heard it before that myself. Other places. Yeah, but this particular juvenile yeah. you were saying makes that noise. Well, there was a few of them. Then one of them actually walked. And you, you know, you know what? You've heard squatches sneaking to camp. How they are real. You hear the footfalls come down real slow. Mm-hmm. They're walking. They're really, really cautious. And then after about. 30 minutes, one of them walked along the side of the tent and actually brushed against the tent mm. as I went by. And I was, and I, my heart was beating fast. And I was like super excited. And I was like, I can try to get up real slow and, you know, get some footage here. But I thought, you know, I'm going to just in case they talk or something, I'm just going to just lay here and give it a while. So I waited about an hour and then I could hear what sounded like the smaller one. And the, there was a couple of them by the Cracker Jacks, or no, not by the Cracker Jacks, by the, I forgot we put we put some kind of food over there on the boats. The boats were about fifteen feet away, and they were on the opposite side where we normally hangs the cracker jacks down this little opening, mm-hmm. which was about oh that was probably about forty or fifty yards from the tent. No, maybe thirty five, forty five yards away from the tent. We had we cleared a, a shooting alley so we could film straight from the tent down where the cracker jacks were hanging, and that's they always come in there. So I'm hearing them messing around by the boat, which is like 15 feet from me, and I could hear them like huffing once in a while and that sort of thing. I thought, okay, I'm going to get up. So I start moving, and I was laying on a sleeping pad like, um, oh, shit. Oh, shit, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Jesus. I got drenched. Yeah, I don't know how much of that is going to turn out on the recording, but I hope we get every moment of it somehow. Well, uh, as we're resituating ourselves, in case you couldn't tell, 
I had noticed that there was a big bow in this canopy thing that we're sitting under. Pop-up. Yeah, this pop-up thing. So I decided to get up. Well, I'm going to empty that. And so, you know, it was on the other side of the tar or the, the pop-up from Bobo, but with Bobo's luck, that doesn't seem to matter because I just uh, decided to empty it out on that side and instead it drained on Bobo's head, exactly on top of Bobo's head. And, of course, his computer is in his lap and, yeah, disaster ensued. I'm sure I'm sorry, Bobo. <laughs> That's funny. It was funny, but it, I'm still I'm sorry. <laughs> Hope your computer's okay. That was God punishing me for not getting the video. Perhaps it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, oh, so I was laying on the on this like a uh, sleep pad, like a camp pad, inflatable camp pad right. thing, and whatever that is, some kind of vinyl, plasticky, yeah, yeah, substance, yeah. the thermal rest stuff, kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was like mm-hmm. a thermal rest, and I was wearing some uh, cool pants, the KUHL pants, the yeah. cools, and it's kind of that canvasy material. So, like when it rubs against that, it's super loud. Yeah. And I was trying to get up real quietly, and I'm like, it's going whoosh, whoosh, that swishing sound just mm-hmm. as I'm moving my legs over to roll. And, um, and right then, as soon as I started doing that, I heard boom, boom, two big footsteps came up from the opposite side of the boat. I was laying on the side right next to the boat. So say, just for instance, the boat was on the um, south side. This came from the north side. Now I was sleeping against the south side wall. Yeah. And the north side wall... In the corner um, would have been like so the, the northwest corner, and I was at the southeast corner or southwest corner. The whole corner of the tent just this I see this outline of a giant hand press and just push down about a foot and yeah. cave the tent down about a foot. And I got this, I know it wasn't like a psychic message, but it was a very clear message to me was don't you move. Don't you dare think about moving. Yeah, but you don't like being told what to do. So what did you do about that? I curled up like a little baby and sat there just my heart beating out of my chest, (laughs) just going, I'm not going to move, I'm not going to (laughs) move. And I did not move for like 40 minutes until my side was just numb. Yeah, and how long did did you think the thing was gone by the time you did move? I I never heard it leave. That's the thing, you know, like I used to do that with students. Um, when a student was perhaps misbehaving in class or needed to be doing his uh, desk work or whatever, I would come up behind them, and until they noticed that I was there, then I'd slowly slink away and never let them know I had left. And as long as they were focused on their work, they didn't notice that I had left, and they'd continue. No, I was listening. I heard I heard the other ones all leave, mm-hmm. and uh, they all went. Uh, they all they all came in from different directions. There were two of them. That, okay, so when those guys left. They walked back out to the truck. When they walked out, two came from that way. So say that was the south. They left to the south. And then one came from the northwest corner. And then another one came from uh, the northeast corner. Okay. So they came from different different directions. Right. right. So I'm assuming that maybe it was the mom and the, and the infant came from one way and the adult male. But... I never heard that. That uh, I'm assuming it was that big nine foot male they see, um, but I never felt threatened the whole time. It was more, it wasn't like I'm gonna kill you thing. It was just a kind of. It seemed to me was, don't you move in there? Yeah, yeah. And um, I never felt threatened from the other ones that were outside. Even when the one walked right next to the tent, I never felt like, like you know, sometimes when there's a squat trying to get that ominous vibe. Okay. Or just if there's a big something that can kill you. Sure. That's being you. quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, I never got the, I never got that vibe. It was it wasn't. But when the thing pressed on the corner of the tent, 
it was super dark out. There was just a couple LED lights in there. That's uh, gave me visibility for yeah. the tent coming down. Well, yeah, now let's talk about that for a minute. You know, um, why do you think they do that? Like, what, what's do you have any thoughts on why they seem to press down on the tents? Because, um, I mean, I've heard it a dozen times at least, right? I mean, I'm sure you've heard a, a ton of stories where somebody's in the tent and then a big hand-shaped thing presses down on it. And at the very least, you know, scrapes their hand along the side of the right. tent. But th- that pressing down of the hand into the tent, what's up with that? I mean, I've literally heard that over 50, 70 times, but it's the first time it happened to me. Yeah, it's never happened to me, and I, of course, I would love it to happen to me. I, or maybe I wouldn't. I'm not sure. But um, what is that about? I mean, maybe they just like the feel of it, or it's like, hey, this thing isn't very resistant, and I can push it down. I mean, like, because I don't get that in nature a lot. I think most of them are curiosity, mm-hmm. but this, to me, was pure intimidation. Mine. Uh-huh. Now, how big was the hand? You said you saw this thing. I mean, it looked to be 16 inches from palm to the finger. 16 inches from palm to finger? That's what it seemed like. Wow. All right. Uh, No no way less than a foot. Yeah, because that Goliath handprint isn't isn't that big. It's like, I'd have to measure it, you know, but um, 12 or 14 at the most, I think. This thing had to be at least 14 inches. Yeah. Wow. That's intense. That's what I'm getting. I mean, it was dark. Yeah, sure, sure. Dark, you're probably, I mean, hate to say it, probably a little scared maybe or. But it was still, it was giant. I mean, Uh it was Uh giant. It was super, no. I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, it, it was like this big. Wow. Like, this is the base, and it was like came out like this wide, probably. Yeah, Bobo's uh, showing me now that his own hand is extended, and like he's showing about another four inches or so at the end of his fingers. Yeah, yeah, least, and Bobo's got big hands, so at least at least four inches, if not six. Mm-hmm. And uh, it looked bigger than the Goliath handprint by far. Wow. Okay. And so it was the impression it could. Could be angles and stuff, because I mean, it was the corner of the tent. Well, yeah, and it's dark, and also, yeah, there's a lot of uh, variables. Right, but it, it pushed down, and it was, uh, it was pretty freaky. I, I mean, bet it was. Yeah. The next day, we came back and we sat out there and we put out stuff. So we decided, well, we can't put a therm up in the window. It's too, it's too uh, obvious. So we cut a hole in the bottom of the tent and angled it up. The therm pointed at the uh, boats again, where we heard them, and. We didn't think we got anything. Then went back and listened to the tape later, and it sounded something did come in and snuffle around the boats, mm-hmm. and we're still not sure what it was. And I haven't even reviewed that therm footage yet either. Oh, so you may have something. Pot, yeah, I mean, we did Maybe. see. There, yeah, the, when the squatches weren't around, the raccoons were around. Uh huh. So it could have been a raccoons. Gotcha. Gotcha. So haven't checked yet. But yeah, it was. I mean, I'm definitely going back. Yeah, and and so you went out there because of this repeated activity. On a property, you didn't even get activity. No, that's where the tent was on that property. Oh, that's where that they were coming back from the fishing hole on. Was, right. Okay, gotcha. And they, um, they, the the six footer runs on the roof of that place all the time. Oh. And then they're not sure which one it was. They think it was the adult male. Oh, oh. So at the um, the lady one night, they, it's classic, like typical Bigfoot. You know, people that have Bigfoots around their houses, the windows just blocked off, um, blankets up over all the windows on that side of the house. Right. The whole thing, and um, there's giant, uh, giant handprints on the window, like those oh. tr- those trailers have those four by four windows, like a four square looking window, yeah, four p- four panes with like a cross of material in the middle. Sure. Well, those are twelve by twelve inch glass. Well, this this is uh, 
So the hand was at least 14 inches because it covers one whole pane and goes up a couple inches onto the next pane. Wow, you get pictures of that or anything? Yeah, or? it doesn't turn out that great. It's hard to take pictures. Of, I think about the Bridges property when we right. visited there. It wasn't that good. No, okay, yeah. yeah. But um, anyways, our friend Jimmy, the homicide detective, right, has lived up in Seattle area the last 15 plus years. Yeah, but he's from down there, isn't he's he? He's from there and he was visiting his mom that weekend. Oh, that's good. And so he was. He, he knows how to take, he's an expert, he's a homicide detective, he knows how to take prints. Yeah. He comes down. We didn't see him until later that evening, but he's now a building contractor. And I said, well, if you're coming by, um, I said, yeah, hey, maybe you can help us replace these windows. I want to take the whole window sill out. Yeah, sure. Like Not the window sill, but the whole window, yeah, all that, four panes. That's exactly what uh, Dennis Fold did down in New Mexico when a Sasquatch came up and, like, made a handprint on, like, the, the, the screen outside, you know, and, like, dragged its fingers on it. Right. It's on the web, my website. You can check it out. Um, and he just replaced the whole window and took it. Right. You know. Well, I think it would be perfect for your museum. Oh, it would whole... be fantastic, yeah. And, then, and, and things like that are very rare. That's what the mattress prints basically are. You know, I mean, people can take impressions or cast impressions and stuff, but when a Sasquatch touches something or steps on something, you can actually bring the thing back sometimes right. and keep the oils and the, the dramatoglyphics and whatever else is on there, you know? Yeah, so um, and then the next window down, after they boarded up the win- or covered up the windows with completely with blankets and stuff, towels. Yeah. Uh-huh. The thing went up and smashed, not smashed, I mean, it still works, but dented the AC unit, one of those window units, and then shoved it where it landed in the middle of the room (laughs) so it could look through where the AC had been. No fluorocarbons. Yeah, so it's in their living room. So they're they're watching TV one night, and all of a sudden the AC comes flying in and lands in the middle of the room. (laughs) So I told him, I said, hey, I'll buy a new AC unit, too, and you guys can, I'll give you a new one, you give me that dented one that has a, some smears on it yeah yeah and, and so did you get the window or did you get no it turned out they had a they had a special kind um like double pane one that you had to custom order like they, oh. didn't, they didn't carry them at the building supply place there did jimmy uh lift the prints off there or no he said it's uh because the best way to do it is where you heat up super glue oh. like you have to build like a bubble over it like with bag plastic bags then you heat up like with a a hot plate, you heat up, you squirt super glue like in an old can or anything, like old soup can, heat it up, and it puts out a gas cloud that totally invisible to the naked eye. He said it'll lift, like you can get prints that are two years old out in the weather and everything, that there'll be residual oil in the little the little micro grooves and chasms in the glass, the little microscope will hold that oil, and you can do that super glue trick, and then it will light the whole thing up, and you can see it huh. crystal clear. I'd have to wonder if you can get eDNA off of something like that. Yeah, he said too. you could. I bet you could. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's interesting. Yeah, because uh, Todd Disatel is interested in testing that sort of stuff. You know, if uh, if if he knows the people involved or people would vouch and all that sort of stuff. You know, probably not just any Joe off the street or whatever, but yeah, um, you know, he would. And if he would do that for Dr. Meldrum. Uh, he kind of extended something like that to me when I spoke to him in uh, in, in Maine a little while ago. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah opportunities he did tell me to save some of the dirt um that i have in envelopes from the mattress prints from the cheshire prints right um just in case something might be could be done with them so all right so man you've you had an an eventful uh what was this is is that all in june yeah that was all june it's a hell of a june good job yeah Yeah. (laughs) not having that thermal clip record of that big one down in louisiana i mean I was seriously depressed, and I, I got real sick after that, too. Yeah. Well, I was running down as hell, staying up all night, like Thurman all night. And then yeah, yeah. Trying to, we'd sleep like two hours during the day and be out all night again. Mm-hmm. 
So and, and plus flying back and doing wild man days. Wild man days just was drainer. I mean, out in the heat. And yeah, I heard the weather was extremely uncooperative. Oh, it just just extremes, right? Just it poured like an inch of rain in forty five minutes. The first day we were set up out there, it just soaked all my merch. Uh-huh. Luckily, I was able to save my photos. And then, uh, but everything got soaked. We had to dry it all the night. And then the next days were, yeah, hot. Hot. And then wasn't it really windy as well? That was the first day. Uh, so wind, rain, and heat. Yeah. Sounds awesome. Oh, but you know, but at Wildman Days, I did get to speak to that burrito maker guy with the burrito cart. Right. About his sighting down. It was in Oaxaca is where it was. Yeah. That, now that guy was interesting. I, I've only picked up two reports from Mexico ever, basically. And I've heard a couple rumors about um, some historical archive stuff, you know, newspapers and everything. But, yeah, that guy, I thought it was really interesting. Down in Oaxaca, basically the jungly part of Mexico, you don't hear a lot of stuff from down there. But yet, sure enough, Bigfoots are there, too. He said um, he still knows. He, could, he said he could find that cave where it walked to. Yeah, so just very briefly, last year I was at Wild Man Days with Bobo. And Bobo went this year, but I was unable to. I had another another job. Um, but we spoke to this dude who runs this burrito cart and we asked him, you know, have you ever seen one? He goes, yeah, I saw one. And, you know, he was full on Latino, you know, like I speak in Spanish with him and stuff. It was fun. I don't get a chance to brush off my Spanish chops as much as I'd like to. But he was telling us that uh, he and his friends, when he was like 17 years old, were out hiking somewhere, I guess, in the brush. The and pyramids. They, the pyramids. Yeah. And then they saw one of these things off in the brush. And being a 17 year old kid, they decided to chase it. And he said there's no way they could have caught it. It was darting back and forth, and it quickly outpaced them. But he said it wasn't that big, six or so, seven, maybe right. seven feet tall, and it just totally outclassed them in the woods in every way. So I thought it was an interesting sighting, mostly because it's, you know, the jungles of southern Mexico. But, um, yeah, these things have a continent-wide distribution in suitable habitat, just like every other large mammal species. Yeah, I got to talk to him a little bit more. Um, this year, because that was one of the benefits of it not being so well attended. Yeah. Because <laughs> he wasn't busy at all for some of the time. And I got more details from him this time. And he said he could absolutely take us to the cave because it didn't just leave him in the dust. It would look back and they'd see where it was. Then when they started going towards it, it would take off again. Then it would go a certain distance. He said it was about 600 meters off the trail was this cave and it just went into the cave and they were too afraid to go look at it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, caves, of course, are uh, fantastic opportunities because inside caves, there is generally no wind erosion and oftentimes no water erosion either. So any footprints that are in a cave would be there. I mean, it could be for hundreds of years. I mean, that's where we have Neanderthal footprints from is inside right. caves. Um, so caves are fantastic opportunities to find out what's been in them just by looking around on the ground if the substrate is suitable. Yeah, he um, he he also said it was he thought it was more like more like a caveman than a monkey. Mm, okay, interesting. Yeah, because they do have, they have monkeys and do they have monkeys in Southern Mexico or just Central America? I don't I don't think they do. I don't know how far north the monkeys go, but you know, I don't, I don't think Oaxaca has. I think maybe way down Chiapas. Yeah, and I know they're in like you know uh, Costa Rica and yeah, Central America. Nicaragua has one. Wonder how far up they go. That's a good question. I know they go. Thanks. I should know that. I've been down through that whole zone. I'm trying to think where the monkeys end. Where do the monkeys end? <laughs> it's one of those questions that has plagued humanity for as long as we've been able to ask them. My computer wasn't all wet. I'd <laughs> look it up. <laughs> Sorry, man. The, the Jay's laughing at you now. Yeah. No, I've, I've gotten um, quite a few reports out of Mexico. That, yeah, they're, they're scared to death of them. Mm -hmm. like, and... Uh, 
they knew about him. And, and I talked to some other ones. I, I tried to get him to call you since you speak Spanish. Not that well. I'd have a hard time on the phone with folks, you know. Right. And then also seeing Prince in produce fields in California. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. I've always thought that the, the, like the, the migrant worker community is a... Uh, I guess a field that hasn't been fully plowed yet as far as Bigfoot research goes. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, those people are out in very likely habitat, you know, working amongst food items that the Bigfoots are likely stealing at some point. They certainly probably have stories. and whatnot. Oh, yeah. And whether they're migrants from Mexico or wherever else, if they're here in America, you know, like, and they're working these fields or in, in the foothills, they probably have some stories and no one's picking those up. Yeah. Um, in the course of people in Mexico, um, they certainly have in the Rockies or I've often wondered about that mountain range that goes down Baja, you know, like I wonder if there's anything in there. Cause I know there's native groups in there, um, way down there. I think by outside of Laredo, if I remember right, um, that, that speak a language that nobody else really speaks. Except right. that, and if a language has persisted in this little pocket of the, the mountains and I've been Baja, to that village. Yeah. I mean, like maybe something else has persisted in there too, you know? Um, I've, I've, I mean, I spent a ton of time in Baja, and I've asked, and no one had any stories. It's in not Baja. a lot of land, but I, I, I'm also curious about the folklore, about the, um, the, the perhaps the cultural history right. of, of the people in that area. But you know, and and then that kind of brings us back around to La Llorana, like the the um the the crying woman, right? You know, and the, for those listeners out there, La Llorana is a it means the crying woman, and the the myth goes that like there's this woman and she and her kids and her were killed in a flood and now she haunts the the arroyos like the dried riverbeds at night and with long moaning sort of crying going on i said well if that doesn't sound like a bigfoot i don't know what does right. man haunting the riverbeds at night going and just like sound like they're like long moan like a, uh, mournful moans and whatnot that sounds to me like a bigfoot you know right i did uh spend some time this we broke down when i was in high school back in the 80s we had an old 1963 land cruiser the old like straight out of like the african old documentaries you know like the lions sitting on them and all that yeah yeah and um pith helmet stuff yeah yeah we had one of those with a chevy engine put in it we broke down down by El Rosario down below there. We were staying with this Mexican family on the side of the road that had a little restaurant. We were just sitting back in this cockroach-filled little storage room. Mm-hmm. And But um, the the men of the family would roam up in the mountains, and they were bighorn sheep poachers. Hmm. Like they, they'd sell the, the uh, bighorn sheep heads to the uh, Mexican rich people on the mainland for huge money. Yeah. And so they spent a lot of time in those mountains, and I and one of the guys spoke pretty good English, and I asked him, you know, I was asking him all about Bigfoot stuff, and he said they had no stories or history of that at all. And these guys were all over that section of that mountain range, probably just from the Rockies, then. Yeah, that's all the I never heard any Mexican story like coming across or any Central Americans crossing. Not that I've talked to tons of them, but I've never heard of any saying they had that encounter. But Border Patrol, there's well documented Border Patrol agents in San Diego County having sightings on thermals and naked eye sightings. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure they're going to, it's just an imaginary line. They, I'm sure they cross it. Yeah, Bigfoots don't care. Right. Yeah. You never read those reports about the border agents seeing them on a thermal giant, like nine foot? Not from there. I've heard some stuff, you know, of like south of the Sierras, like with that big Air Force base down there. Right. You know, but I, I don't think I've heard anything from the border patrol guys. Yeah, yeah, there's some pretty well documented. Bobby Short has a couple of those stories and... So we went over what I did the last couple of months, Cliff. What have you been doing besides the museum? Well, is that I it? I haven't seen any Bigfoots. I mean, unfortunately, 
you know, I, I got to do some cool stuff. I mean, not, not quite as awesome as what you got to do, of course. Um, I would trade it all to go see a Bigfoot on Therm. Um, but I guess uh, beginning of June, what was I doing? There's something up in the beginning of June. I don't know. But uh, towards the end of June, what I got to do, uh, I was asked to go do some filming on a TV show that's going to come out, and I guess, in the fall. Um, I'm not sure what the work, what the title is. I think the working title is something like uh, Alaskan Triangle. They're kind of drawing a parallel between the Bermuda Triangle where all sorts of weird things happen with Alaska, where all sorts of crazy stuff happens up there. I mean, not just Bigfoots, but, you know, I think they're going into UFOs and lake monsters and Thunderbirds and just general weirdness, you know. Um, and uh, so I got to shoot a couple episodes with those guys. Um, I went up to a little a little native town called Kokonok. Um, which is on the shores of Lake Iliamna. Okay. Lake Iliamna is the largest lake in Alaska, and it's like, what, the seventh or something largest lake in North America? It's big, and yeah, it's no. real, real deep. Um, there are some parts of that lake that are uh, 1,400 or more feet deep. Oh, I didn't apparently. know it was deep. I thought it was shallow. Oh, it's ridiculous. And then it's crystal clear, too, for quite a, quite a, a depth. Um, and we went there because, um, well, I shot two episodes for them up there. And basically, uh, I took them bigfooting for a while outside of town, and and that was great because you know it's Alaska, so it's yeah. like, you know pockets of trees here and there, but like rolling tundra and all this stuff, and you know the blueberry bushes are you know six inches, tall, you know that kind of thing, right? You know? um, and uh, we, we were walking around. And a couple cool things happened. Nothing really bigfooty necessarily, but uh, um, that doesn't mean you shouldn't watch it. It's going to be a very informative and cool episode. Spoke to a bunch of witnesses in town and. This, this, I mean, this town has a hundred people in it, you know, 100 basically. Right. So practically, you know, there's a very low population, you know, um, and, and outside of town, I mean, you know, it's just a bunch of folks, you know, driving their ATVs around hunting and being subsistence livers. Sort of Is thing. it mostly natives? Oh yeah. Yeah. But the vast majority, in fact, I don't know. I think we were the only like non-native people there. Okay. As far as I could tell, I didn't, I mean, maybe there's one or two hiding around somewhere, but right. yeah, everybody there was native you know, to some degree. Did you hear stories in town from the natives? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I spoke to a couple of the elders who had had encounters and knew all about these things. Um, it was kind of funny. Like, uh, we're, I was outside of town with the film crew, and just a small little film crew, camera and a producer, you know, sound guy. Um, and uh, we were walking around outside of town, and we came across a, um, Alaskan brown bear prints. Ooh. And man, that, that was that was really intense. I don't, I've never seen those in the ground because I don't really frequent the areas where those things live. And um, at first I was pretty excited because I saw the big old toes and the impression. But Did then, you cast them? No, I didn't have casting material on me. And uh, I don't know, it probably would have been like 30 bucks back in town or something like right. that. But, uh, but what I thought was cool about it is like when I found them, I pointed it out to the guys like, hey, look at this. Like this is, you know, and look at the toes right there and everything. And then um, at that, we're just scouting at the time. So we say, hey, well, let's go back to the vehicles and pick up the cameras so we can do a beat on this. Right. And uh, so we go back to the cars and we weren't that far out. We're only about, you know, three, four or 500 yards from the cars. Went back to the car, came back to the print, and the print was dark in color because of the moisture in the ground. Mm -hmm. But by the time we got back to the print, half of it had dried up. Really? Yeah, so which indicates that we just missed the brown bear. Right. Like that brown bear was probably five minutes ahead of us, maybe maybe eight minutes ahead of us because the the moisture content of the ground. So that was pretty cool, knowing that there's a big old brown beast walking around that would happily eat me just a few moments away. Um, so I tracked that thing a little bit, found a couple other prints of it. That was really cool. 
Um, and then we saw these these uh, young men, you know, the, I'll call them kids, but they're like 19 or something like that. Um, that's, ki- their, that's kids. Uh, yeah, well, you know, 48. I'll be 49 here soon. So to me, that's a kid. Um, but they're driving their ATVs around out there, you know. And, of course, you know, we're the only ones out there with a camera. So they come cruising up to us, as, and they, they come up, and they stop, stop the car. and or Not the car, but their ATV. And they go, hey, what do you guys do? And then they look, and they go, you're Cliff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah, I am Cliff. It's, yeah, you're, you're on Finding Bigfoot, man. Hey, my name is, you know, so-and-so. And, like, I was talking to him. I thought that was so weird, man, because I could go to Portland. I can go downtown Portland, like, like two weeks in a row, and no one's going to bat an eye at me. But, man, I go to a native village where 100 yeah. people live, and I'm yeah. tracking bears outside of town, and everybody knows who I am. <laughs> that's, that's by far the most recognized I'd be was on Indian reservations. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of the elders there kind of put it in perspective for me because we're laughing about it. And she goes, well, Cliff, you know, Finding Bigfoot did a lot to, you know, I, I don't know what the right word is, but I'll say validate, like, the, right. the, the culture. It's not like their culture needs validation. That's not what I'm right. trying to say. But, like, it... it I was talking the, the woman, this particular elder, was saying, "Yeah, like the outside it, world took Bigfoot more serious." Yeah, yeah, and, legitimate- and their cultural traditions yeah, right. of Sasquatches. That's important, to, you know. It's yeah. obviously it's important to any culture to be recognized and validated in such a way. And I guess that's something that I'd never really thought about so much about finding Bigfoot. About part of our role, I guess, is to was to do that, even though we had no native cast members. We spoke to a ton of natives, and they got to tell their story. And, you know, it's important for cultures to have their voice. Right. Yeah, you know? I, I kind of recognized that right from the get-go. Yeah, I, I guess I did too, but I didn't really – I think, you know, I'm, being some white guy, I guess I didn't didn't really didn't really resonate or didn't, like, strike the chord that it perhaps does with uh, native people. And, you know, right. I'm thankful that I served some I, – I did something good and I didn't even know it. Or I, and I didn't do anything. I'm not taking credit for it, but I participated in it. Right, you know, and that's kind of cool. Well, we get the credit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I guess I mean, don't deserve it, maybe. But no, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying deserve. I'm just saying they give us the credit. Yeah, well, that that's very kind of them, you know, and I would right. appreciate that. Because I mean, the network has to decide. Okay, we're going to include this person. Yeah, know, yeah we have story. we have so little say over anything. Right, what's included, right? But you know, another part of that trip, still in Kokonok, Alaska, um, I got to go lake monster hunting. You know, they pulled me in as a general cryptozoologist instead of just a specifically Bigfoot guy. So you've now Lake Monster hunted on two continents. Two continents, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, so what, we went out with some commercial fishermen uh-huh. um, to an area on the lake where sightings had been, you know, had happened before and whatnot. And we spoke to these guys, and like, yeah, sure enough, the skipper. I don't. I'm not sure he's, he he was really reluctant to go on camera, but he saw one of these things. Um, his, what did he see? Uh, he's, he was coming back. He was driving the boat. He's coming back to Kokonok, I think it was. And he pointed, he had this island over there. It was a long ways away, like maybe a half mile or more away. But he saw huge splashes in the water and the black serpentine sort of thing come up chasing stuff. And like he said, I'd never seen anything like that on this lake before. And he thought, this guy makes a living on the lake. I, I think there's very few things in that lake that he's not aware of. Right. Um, and, of course, and I was asking about the pinnipeds and stuff, you know, seals or sea lions. Do they get in there? They're seals. Yeah, not, no sea lions, but they're no walruses, but they're seals in there. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. They don't get so much in the lake a little bit um, is what he told me. But How usually, far is it from the ocean? Uh, it's not that far. I, 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 don't, I forget how far the, um, the salmon and whatnot have to come up into the lake. But that's another thing. The salmon, he said over a billion salmon get in there every year. A billion. A billion? Uh, that's what he said. I mean, then that guy... That ain't right. I don't know, man. That he ain't said right. <laughs> it's a big old lake, so I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised. 
And I don't know if that's true or not, but like, if it's not a billion, I don't know how many ex, how, I don't know how many million I would be impressed with. I think any million I would be impressed with, honestly. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, it was they're not Chinook. What are those things? Uh, they get reds and dogs. They get pinks, pinks, chums. Yeah, and something else. Too, humpies. But, yeah. Well, anyway, yeah, tons and tons of salmon's, which is is the. The, the the connecting thing with all those lake monsters. Right. Oh, and uh, I spoke to and saw three different people took video of this lake monster, and I saw video of th- three different videos of this lake monster. Yeah, and and one of them, there was a wake on the water, and something was underneath it, you know, curling over it. So I don't know. I don't know what that was. It was the least impressive, but he says I saw this thing, and that this is what the video is. The next guy, he said that uh, he was out canoeing with uh, some some young people some some children um, i think it was his kids or his girlfriend's kids i don't remember which one and uh they saw this thing in the water this black sort of hump thing come up this serpentine thing and and he said that it was came out of the water and like he looked like there might have been two of them kind of wrapped around each other briefly and splashed into the water and stuff and they scared him so he got out of, he wasn't very far from shore so they paddled to shore got out and the thing was still there so we started filming it and then uh, I, I saw, you know, his film is looks, it was better than the first. I mean, it's nothing like that's going to prove it to skeptics or anything, but it was right. much better. Um, you know, it's something pushing water and making wakes and then a black sort of thing going through the water. And then the last dude who's the mayor, he's not really the mayor, but he's he's the, 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 the representative, I guess, or whatever, of Kakanok. I forget what he called, he said his official title was. Um, but, uh, he also had a video of this thing, and that one was by far the most impressive because you can see two or three different segments of this black snake-like thing going through the water, and all three of those segments were moving in tandem, like at the same Ooh. time and same pace. Uh, I've never seen anything like it. I certainly wouldn't say that was a sturgeon or anything. Is that Was that an older video? No, I, I mean, just like a year or two old or oh, something okay. like that. All right, it's a new one. Yeah, and they're all from the same general area on the lake and whatnot, and... You know, and it happens to be right where this uh, big ridge comes up underwater. You know, not a ridge really, but like where that goes shallow to or deep to shallow really fast, about, I I don't know, 100 yards from shore. I think that's where the Hillstrand Brothers went on a special for Discovery to look for them. Oh, really? I think so. It's a good spot for it because the water is very, unlike Loch Ness, you know, the water is very, very clear. In fact, a lot of sightings happen um, from the brush pilots going over because you can see, you know, 50, 60 feet down in the water and they see these things. Oh, really? Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that was my Kokonok trick trip. But but from there, and man, the Kokonok um, in the local native tongue means east winds, uh-huh. and I can see why they named it that. It 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 was crazy there. You know, we had the nice sunny days or whatever, but the wind was blowing twenty knots probably at least. So when it came time to leave, we were concerned about getting out. Um, but then again, I, I mean, these Alaskan pilots are gnarly. Dude, that'd be blowing 80 for them to say, nah. Yeah, yeah, they, they're they just gnarly. And and it was a real bumpy ride. But I got out at 2 o'clock um, in the afternoon. And then 27 hours later, I landed in Pennsylvania. <laughs> I went to Eric Altman's uh, Bigfoot campout adventure right. thing that he has every year for charity. And uh, Dr. Meldrum and I were there, and uh, and, I, and that was a blast, too, for a couple reasons. Uh, number one, I got to hang out with all the mountain monster guys. Oh, man, that'd be fun. Yeah, they were, I was sitting at the table, and um, 
uh, Huckleberry came up. Yeah, we'd met him in Ohio. Well, you had met him in Ohio. I, he, I never ran across him. Oh, uh, he was cool. Yeah, apparently. Uh, and he came up, he goes, Cliff, I wanted to come talk to you. I had a chance to meet Bobo at the Ohio conference, but I never ran across you and blah, blah, blah. And he said it was nice, nice things about me or whatever. And, um, and, and it's like, whoa. And I, I started talking to him and, and I got to meet everybody else, Buck and Jeff and, you know, all the guys basically. Right. One guy wasn't there. Uh, uh, was it Trapper that wasn't there? Okay. Yeah, um, but all the other guys were there, and I'll, I've always thought those guys were actors or you know no. just kind of. And now that I've met them, I, I'm not so sure that they're lying on the show anymore. Those guys are awesome. They're nuts, man. They're totally funny. Oh, they're yeah. Huckleberry was, was great. I, I was calling him Raspberry on accident when I first met him because <laughs> I, I didn't watch the show because it made me because so, we'd get so much mail saying. You guys are idiots. Mountain monsters finds those guys every all the time. They find one. You got to go. They'll teach you how to do it. I'm like, dude, that show's fake, man. Uh, so I'd kind of badmouth the show and those guys because I was just so sick of people badmouthing us that we couldn't match up the mountain monsters guys. Mm-hmm. So then, and then I felt kind of bad when I met him in person. I said, I said, yeah, I talked a little smack on you guys. It was only because. I was sick of getting told I was a moron that you guys were outdoing me all the time. <laughs> I said, because um, I said, I told him, I said, you know, I, I saw definitely a couple of episodes where you guys had a, a mask looking in the window. Well, yeah, and they're chasing goat squatch and all the ridiculous right. things and building traps for the, like, like right. I, I don't, I mean, I, I even, after I, I've never seen one, but after I met these guys, I really liked them. They're really, oh, they're, really good guys. I've never heard a bad word about them. Oh my God, they're just wonderful people. They were, they had all the patience in the world for all the fans. Always had a smile on their face. They all sang happy birthday to people who came up like eight or nine times through the day, um, and t- t- took time with children all the time. They're just fantastic people. They're yeah. just really, really cool. Far better than I am. Like, really, really not. Well, I, I, I'm just kidding, of course, but I noticed you didn't <laughs> laugh, Bobo. <laughs> but anyway, they're great people. Um, and, and I said, well, now that I kind of know these guys a bit, you know, I'm going to watch a couple other episodes. And, and I'm watching them, and I kept thinking, this is like, is this just a direct parody of our show? Right. Or, or are they serious? Or, And now that I kind of know those guys, I kind of wonder... Are, do, do they recognize the humor of this or is it just me or I don't know what to think now. I think, I think they definitely recognize the humor. Oh, they're, they're just good, solid guys though. I mean, yeah. man, Jeff, I really hit it off with Jeff, for example, the guy, the big white beard guy. Uh-huh. In fact, I think on a different, you know, um, a, a, a different reality timeline. I'm, I am probably Jeff. I think, <laughs> you, know? you were born in West Virginia. Yeah. If I was born in West Virginia a little while, that's, I'm sure that would be me. Huckleberry yeah. city goes, I'm just a, I'm just a hillbilly that got real, real lucky. Yeah, I feel the same way about myself, except yeah. perhaps the hillbilly part. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I feel like a hillbilly is just not that lucky. Yeah, so is that that was a, that was a, a pleasure because I, I I was in the booth next to those guys all day. Uh, They're yeah. loud. Are I wouldn't want to live next door to them. That's for sure. <laughs> but but, but uh, I love being in a that's booth. That's part of hillbillies, bad. Whoop it up. I suppose there was a lot of whooping and a lot of military because that one gentleman, the military guy, he's always you know yelling about something and right. But they're all really solid, good, good folks, man. Because they're with creepy, right? Creepy yeah, people. yeah. They're doing creepy people management now. So now cool. we're on the same management. I'm sure we'll get more time. To, like I'm really looking forward to spending time. With those guys like if we do another event with those guys i'm just saying my booth is right next to those dudes yeah yeah that's part like in a writer or something like that because that, right. those guys are rad i you loved get, those guys you get one side i get the other <laughs> how's that for a sandwich oh, and bobo for bread and mountain monsters for cheese <laughs> and meat <laughs> and meat yeah and mayonnaise 
And yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So that was a great trip. Of course, um, I did do a little bigfooting. Um, I didn't get anything because you know down by Uniontown is super squatchy. There's all right. sorts of stuff going on down there. Um, I went out in the woods for one night and poked around. Uh, and I guess you know I shared a cabin with Meldrum, so lots of good conversations were Lucky. going on. Um, and uh, oh, some dude brought in some footprint he got from '91 or '93. Um, in south uh, southwestern Pennsylvania, and it is by far the best evidence from Pennsylvania I've ever seen. Really, it was fantastic, and the guy did a great job casting. He's two by fours as a frame, so the thing's like two two inches thick. It's ridiculous, and the and the toes are awesome, and the foot shape is strongly uh, um, similar to uh, some of the Blue Mountain stuff. It is fantastic. When I see something that attractive, Cliff, you know, I want to hear some measurements. Well, you know, I have photographs of it with scale items, and I'm teaching the guy how to make copies with the understanding that if I do that, he'll give me a copy. Right. So hopefully I'll have the cast actually, uh, or at least a first generation copy of it in not too long. So I'm working on that right now. And I guess the other pleasure of that trip, besides just, you know, hanging out with Eric and all those guys, Eric Altman, um, is uh, Seth Breedlove. And I, yeah. like, we went out and got beers and whatever, some other folks, and um, had a good time with him. And it was just a great trip. Good people, squatchy area, cool stories. A new cast came my way, Mountain Monsters. It was a great weekend. I had a great story actually at the Chinook Winds Casino event this last weekend, a Diné woman from the Navajo Nation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Her grandfather had cast at the end of World War II, about in the mid-40s, had cast a Bigfoot track outside of Dulce, north of the Apache Hickory Res, where mm-hmm. I had my best sighting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just below Colorado border, he cast a Bigfoot track, or maybe two, but she said there was definitely one that she knew of for sure that survived until 1971, and her grandfather died in 71. They were moving his belongings and someone was pulling out the cask and it dropped and broke. Okay. They saved the pieces. That's what I said. And she said she hadn't heard hide her hair that, I mean, that was almost 50 years ago. And she said she hasn't heard anything about, she hasn't heard anything about broken pieces being in anyone's possession. Oh yeah. Yeah. But that would have predated, you know, Jerry crew 12, 13 years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a sheriff up in Bellingham that supposedly uh, was looking into stuff in the 40s or whenever that was. Even, I think, earlier, too. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, I mean, his stuff just disappeared off the face of the planet when he died, so I, who knows what happened to that stuff. Well, we can call Conspiracy Kirk and get to the bottom of that. Probably. Well, <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, the, the Chinook thing, a good thing that happened at Chinook is, I don't know if you heard, but this past April, I think it was, there was a sighting by, I think, six loggers out by Tillamook. Oh, and, yeah. um and I got wind of it, but I couldn't find out where. And I was, you know, seeing what I could do because I, I, you know, I re, we we rely on sources basically because right. there's only you know one of me and one of you, and we depend on other people to bring us stuff, you know, because they trust us or whatever. And um, and I heard about this sighting, and I said, oh man, I want, and it's this area that's been producing a, like a sighting or two every year for the last four or five years, and um, great stuff has been coming out of there. And uh, but I couldn't. I, Somebody else got a hold of it, and then I think Peter Byrne was going to go on the scene and look at it. Oh, right, right. Like okay, I did hear about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... Um, but he never and, called the guy, right? I never got the information. I never had a chance no, I, to I, call I, anybody. I think Peter never followed up. Well, I heard he went out there, but again, I don't know, because if Peter's getting stuff, he's not publishing it. So right. like, I don't know what he's doing with it, but like, I don't... I he's not... It's not out there for public viewing, whatever the case is. Right. Um. So I don't know what happened to it. I wonder if that's the same one I just heard about this weekend where someone said, no, that was a different one. They said they had brought Peter out to a uh, footprint find. No, I think this is the same one. It was one of the logger guys. His friend is one of the loggers who saw it. And they left it there for him to cast. They figured he was better at casting. Oh, I didn't hear that part. They didn't want to cast it because they they had never made a cast before. And if you're listening to this and you're interested in Bigfooting, 
You have to go buy some material, some fix-it-all or something at the hardware store. Plaster, use anything. Just use something. But practice on whatever. Go out in the sandbox. Practice on your own feet or bear tracks or dog tracks. Just practice making casts because you don't want to be like me and lots of other people. The first one you ever make is when you're in the field for a big footprint and you make it too thick or too watery. Like mine was too watery. It fell apart. Um, so practice before you go out and cast a Bigfoot track. So these guys were smart enough not to want to blow it and screw it up. So that for Peter, and Peter came out and looked at it and decided not to cast it for whatever reason. I mean, it could be, I mean, the guy's 93 years old. It could be like, you know, his knees and back, he can't bend down and get on the ground like that. I mean. Yeah, the guy I talked to, maybe it was the same guy, maybe it was, and he said that, uh, I asked if this is the one that Peter came, he said, yeah, I think Peter came out, and he showed me pictures of this cast in the ground. And it was, I mean, he he had a flip phone, first of all, okay? So the screens are even smaller than, right. like, a, you know, an iPhone or a you Okay, know, I, saw, I saw those ones, too. Yeah, this, and the cast looked great, or the footprints, rather, looked fantastic. I go, wow, I, I, I hope Peter casts them. I hope somebody casts them um, because they looked fantastic in the ground. And, and so the story went like these guys saw it. It was just walking like they were on break or something, walking. And then one of the six guys who was watching this thing on the logging landing whistled at it. Right. And it turned and looked at them and started walking right at them. Yeah. So they all hopped in the truck and bailed because they were scared, and rightly so. And they went down to the foreman at the next you know level, and they go, what are you guys doing here? So we just saw a Bigfoot up there. I said, what? Let's go up there and look. And they went up, and the thing was gone, but um, the track line was there. And right. there were like six or eight guys standing around looking at this trackway. And so I, at least one guy got at least one picture of these things. And so uh, I'm hoping... Well, I'm really hoping that somebody got cast, you know, because that information is really important. But at the that, very there least, wasn't, there was no both the both the stories I heard, no casts were made. Well, maybe that's what it is. And yeah, but hopefully, if eight guys are standing around with a phone in their pocket, maybe more than one guy snaps some pictures. Right. So that's what I'm hoping at this point. So if that this gentleman, um, I hope that he reaches out to me. I gave him my card. I gave him my email address. He seems eager to. Yeah, he seemed like he'd want to. I, he hasn't done it yet. Um, so yeah, but that, that's the, that's the other cool thing that happened at Chinook for me, at least is right. another line on some of the local Bigfoots because this area has been pumping out reports one or two a year for the last five, like five years. And I want to know if they're the same animals, but no one is collecting the data. So we don't know. We there's, just, you know, you can't tell a Bigfoot apart by looking at them. You there's a lot of guys that say they're Bigfooters down there too. It's... Yeah. There's a fair number of Bigfooters on the coast, but for some reason just no casts come out of there, you know? And, I, and I'm sure there's good reasons for it. I'm not down in those people, you know. But um, it, it's it's like, man, just like, let, let's get some casts and find out if it's the same animals or if a new group's moving in. Let's start studying how they live, not right. if they are, but like how right. they live. That should be the focus. You know what now. we should do, especially here on the Oregon coast or the Pacific North, anywhere south where it rains, any, we'll put, it's wet everywhere at some time of the year, Yeah, is Tom Shea's recipe for putting salt in the mix if mm -hmm. it's wet ground. Yeah, yeah. Because I think the guy, the one of the, it was either the logging story or the other story that was from the same area. Why One of the reasons they didn't cast was the ground. There was little bits of water at the bottom of the prints. Yeah. And they said it looked too wet to cast. And I was like, man, we got to really get Tom Shea's salt formula out there to the public. Yeah. You know, I know he adds salt. Um, I think it's not for snow or something, though. And more, just moisture. Well, you know, you can you can cast um, it, it, like if there's water holding in the bottom of a print. You can just make it really thick, and right. then pour it in there, and that and it'll it'll work. It'll, in fact, I've heard it even works like under a couple inches of water, but I've never tried it myself. Right. Yeah, but you can just do it thicker than you think you should, and that'll work just fine. 
It'll work fine. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like there's a, like a half an inch of water in the bottom of a print. You just make it a lot thicker than you should. Okay. I thought I thought you had to get the water out. You, you can do that too. Like use a turkey baster. Yeah, or turkey baster. Like yeah. But at the same time, that's why what you were saying earlier is so important. Practice. Right. Practice, practice, practice in all conditions and all slopes and all so- soil substrates. Just practice. And, practice. And, and exactly. You talk about practice? Yeah. Man. That was my Alan, Alan Iverson. You wouldn't know that one. I wouldn't know who that is. I'll play the clip later. Okay. Practice? You talk about practice? Well, yeah. So it's been an eventful June. Um, this past week, of course, an eventful weekend at Chinook. And you saw Bigfoot. You saw another Bigfoot, you know, this past I didn't month. get the best look at it because, I, you know, you know, talking about, like, uh, how the human memory and mind works and all that, as I was thinking about it later, part of, I think part of my, he was describing it so well what he was seeing, but I think part of my memory when I was looking through, when I was looking through the viewfinder trying to get in, get in on it, when I, when I kind of caught glimpses of it, mm-hmm. I think my brain was filling in more details than I saw at the uh, time. Like the power of suggestion kind right, of? Right, right. Okay. Because I remember, like, at one point I was aware of going, like, I didn't see it that good. I'm, I think I'm, my mind was melding what I was seeing with what he had been describing for the previous, like, seven, eight seconds or so. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm, sure, sure. I was, uh, that's why one of the reasons I wanted to see the therm clip to see what, I, what my memory of it was versus what we actually recorded. Right. Yeah, memories are always weird, man. Yeah. They're always real wonky. I used to think memories were, like, more solid, you know, like, it was like pulling up a file. You know, no, mem- memories are very permeable, right? Know, malleable and changeable over time. Right. Because the more time you tell a story a certain way, the more that becomes the truth. Right. Yeah. Language um, is a a powerful thing. You know, like as far as the formation of reality goes. Well, I was reading about. I'm uh, not reading. I was watching a couple of documentaries on Netflix about criminals that get they get a false memory of an event and they admit to crimes and they give detailed accounts of these crimes they committed when they proven later that it wasn't them. Right, right, and, and telling untruths about Bigfoot is definitely a crime. Right. <laughs> Should be. Should be. Oh, so I got contacted by an old friend I grew up with. Hadn't seen the guy in 30 years. He's been living in uh, Scandinavia the last 20-something years as a teacher, and he's was living in Sweden for like 10, 12 years, and he's been in Norway the last 10-something years. And he wants to bring me over to talk about Bigfoot, and they're going to set it up where I can go talk to a couple schools in norway and sweden oh i have a report from norway so i got three three awesome i wouldn't be a bit surprised if they're there yeah yeah well what's surprising is i know there's supposed to be in the north where those laplanders are especially in finland Mm -hmm. the nomadic reindeer herders okay when we were looking at going to finding bigfoot episode there so but the ones i got were all in the southern half of the country i'd have to check i don't remember where mine was but you know the troll mythology comes out of there and i I wouldn't i mean i'm I'm, i would think that is probably true that the troll mythology has a basis of truth in the sasquatch oh i think so for sure yeah so even living under the bridges and stuff you know we've heard reports of that sort of thing here in north america I've been trying to find a troll research group over there. Yeah. When you Google troll, all you get is like online harassment. Uh-huh. <laughs> like that kind of trolls on the internet. But I found yeah, a few Yeah, by things. the way, it's something about as far as looking things up on the internet, don't look up Harry Man either. <laughs> <laughs> all sorts of interesting sites come up. <laughs> yeah. Or bears. Yeah, don't look that up either. Yeah. Bear anyway, you're saying hair. trolls. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Yes, I was looking at it. I was like, going, man, I've gotten a lot of fan mail from Europe over the, you know, over the years. 
So I was thinking of trying to set up a whole little tour of, of uh, Europe, you know, because like, I, I don't know about you, but, well, you know, on, on your website, how it tells you, like, what countries are logging in, how yeah. often. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've the noticed, analytics do that. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm popular in Nordic countries and then Poland, Spain, Italy, and especially uh, UK huh. and Ireland. Okay. So I was going to try to maybe get set up. And then Andy with uh, Beast of Britain is going to help me set something up. Oh, that's cool. In London. And then you should I, talk to the creepy people. They might be able to help you out with something that. They, they, they want to see who I get in contact with. Oh, I see. Yeah, well, I know they're, they're talking about doing something over there. They're going to hook me up with some ghost people, but I want to get in with the crypto people. But there's not a big crypto scene there because there's nothing really to look into. It's, it's, there's a ton of ghost stuff there. So people are into ghosts. Yeah. But they're interested in cryptozoology. They just don't have much to go on. They have Loch Ness and then trolls. And then, then you got the, I mean, there's, there's people there that honestly believe they have Bigfoots there. Yeah. Well, there was that interesting picture from the Pyrenees um, oh, yeah, about 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who I don't know what that was. It was kind of hard to tell, but it was interesting. And my buddy who we're going to interview, you met him, little Daddy Roth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big yeah. Daddy Roth. Germany. Yeah. I saw that one in Black Forest. Yeah. So. I've got some stuff in Poland, too, from uh, military right. guys on the Polish, uh, well, on on, um, on American bases, but in the Polish right. wilderness. There was that, uh, during the Bosnian War, that American fighter pilot that got shot down. Mm-hmm. And he had to survive for like 14 days, creeping back through like enemy territory to get back to our side of the fighting lines. And yeah. he says he saw a five foot tall one, um, five foot tall, hair covered little man, uh, caveman, at daybreak one morning out in some like Serbian mountains or something like that. Yeah, that's a wild part of the world, you know. Yeah, so I mean, I think uh, it could be pretty cool. I mean, we'll see. I mean. It's got to work economically. I, yeah, you got to make some money doing that because you at just, least pay for the trip. You know, I don't want to. Yeah, break even at least, right? Yeah, I mean, if I break even, that's going to be great. Yeah, yeah, because you can bring back a lot of information and right. maybe do something with that book or you know, right, right, a lecture series. I don't know something or point Cliff in the right direction to go do some science. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe you go gather the data. I'll see what I can do with it. So if you're an if you're an international listener, hit me up if you got any suggestions about you know I don't I, wherever schools or pubs or wherever they talk about that sort of thing well you know actually that brings up something i mean where can people get a hold of you because I, oh. I get asked that all the time by the way how can i get a hold of bobo most people get a hold of me on my uh, bigfoot page james bobo fay slash find it not slash you don't know how to get a hold of you <laughs> i'm asking the wrong guy <laughs> dude i can't believe what's the quotation marks yeah james quotation marks bobo yeah Faye? You can get all of me at Squatcher on Twitter, but I'm not, I'm not on there very much. But most of the mail I get comes through James, quotation mark, Bobo, and quotation mark, Faye, hyphen, Finding Bigfoot on Facebook. That's where I get the majority of my correspondence. Okay. All right. Because a lot of do, people do ask me about that, and I figured I might as well put that out. Right. Because good stuff comes from the public. You and I depend on that, you know, as far as like getting cool Bigfoot stuff. I know there's a lot of fake accounts. People say they're me, but you know, yeah. mine's mine has like forty something thousand followers. Yeah, and on yeah. Twitter, I have a check mark. That's right. why I can't believe when people ask me, "Is this really you?" Like, like I've been writing to this other guy, Bobo. Yeah, we're verified. It's yeah. easy enough. You uh, know. So there's a blue check. That's me. Exactly, exactly. And man, I, I look at these like there's a couple of fake accounts of you know Cliff Berrickman out there. Right. And I'm thinking, what losers. Yeah, impersonating me of all people. Like I'm nobody. This is ridiculous. Dude, the best, though, <laughs> the best was a couple of Bigfoot conferences. I've had women come up to me and say, "You yeah, that was really, you know, blah blah." Like they sent nude pictures or topless photos to me. All oh, these other accounts, fake accounts. 
<laughs> Make sure you get the right one, ladies. Yeah, send those nude photos to me. <laughs> or any of those uh, hairy man pictures to Bobo. <laughs> <laughs> these, these are actually hairy women that approached me. Didn't somebody come up to you at Chinook and like ask where you were? Yeah, a family. Yeah, because like because they, they're they're looking for fat Bobo, not like not yeah. the one we have now. And the mom said she goes, "Are you related to him, like a cousin or something, or an uncle? Because you kind of talk like him." And I said. I said, yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that pretty many times. And so they, I talked to them. They're at your booth looking around because you had. I mean, I just had a couple of shirts and photos for sale. You had your whole display up, your mobile museum, and yeah, yeah, I'm you, going you, big. You know, you, I mean, Cliff had a whole. Yeah, Cliff had an impressive display of casts, uh, traditional native masks, things like that. And yeah, pushing the museum. I want people to know what they're in for when they come visit. Yeah, so I was over there explaining some of the. Like, this is this. This is that, and. Um, and she goes, God, that's. She goes, God, yeah, we really wanted to meet Bobo, you know. And he's we, every time we look in here, he's not here. <laughs> and then I finally just said, I usually just when that happens, just kind of go with it and just go, Yeah, okay, I'll let him know. And I said, Actually, that I, I am, I am Bobo. And they just laughed, <laughs> laughed at me and walked out. Yeah, yeah, you're then, not Bobo. Then when we were giving away the truck, they gave away a brand new Chevy four x four truck at the casino. Yeah, the Bigfoot giveaway. That lady was stoked to win it. Oh yeah, that was awesome. But we were sitting there, and then they came up there shocked that I was standing up there by Cliff and the announcer <laughs> to give away the truck. They couldn't. They're like, that was you? And then they started talking, and, yeah, it was kind of funny. That happens. Some dude there told me, like, I liked Bobo when he was fat. Oh, I've heard that a lot. It's like, really? Oh, another thing I heard was, um, I wish it was you and Renee here. I said, we got Cliff. And he goes, I can't stand Cliff. <laughs> the, I know. I'm so abrasive. <laughs> I rub everybody the wrong way. I laugh so hard because that was like the first time I ever got a I can't because, like, you know, I hear that all the time about Matt and Renee. More more Matt, of course. He's perhaps a stronger personality. In some right, ways, yeah. right, right. So I told him, I said, I said, just watch his show. You'll just appreciate him. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, I, I think that's probably good, right? I yeah, mean, we yeah. covered a whole month in, in a you know about an hour and a half or two hours of talking here. I don't know yeah. what the edited version will be like, of course, but don't edit too much, but edit enough. Yeah. Well, I, you know, our our editor does a great job. He just takes out just enough so we don't sound like morons. You're right, Cliff. That's a perfect place to end it. So I just want to say, hit subscribe and share, please. Spread the word on Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. And until next time, keep it squatchy. Oh, don't forget about our YouTube page. We have a YouTube page as well. We're like a day or two after we release because everybody knows we drop the new episode at midnight on Saturday nights. Um, but a day or two after that, uh, we have this guy named Jeff Thomas who makes great little videos with visuals and stuff, takes our audio, puts some vi visuals in front of it. So even if you don't understand podcasts, because I don't understand podcasts, I, but I understand YouTube, you can look it up and, and listen to us there, okay? So be sure to do one of those things. Subscribe or check out the YouTube page and... Uh, share and share alike. Yeah, and, and say nice things about us and about other people and to other people, please. Yeah, click the five-star reviews. Yeah. On everybody, on everybody. Not, and I don't mean just like on YouTube. I mean, the world's full of darkness, man. So be cool to somebody today. Wait, everybody like... Everybody. Was, that guy over there, the guy at the gas station. Be no. cool. Five-star review. <laughs> that diminishes our five-star review. Give them four stars. Well, yeah, I think I'm just going to go around and tell people, you get five stars today. <laughs> and they're going to go, what? Is that that Bigfoot right. guy? He's just weird. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Goodbye, Cliff. Goodbye, Bobo. Thank <laughs> you.
Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond.